Hey everybody, welcome to the August 2nd edition of the Carolina Weather Group Podcast. I cannot believe it's August. I think the last time I hosted one of these shows when Scotty was out, it was like the first of the week and I couldn't believe it was like July. The world is uh, continuing to spin and our months are, keep going by faster and faster, it seems. But we have a uh, great show tonight. We're really excited about this one. It's the heart of summer thunderstorm season and we have the perfect guy to talk about thunderstorms tonight with dr patrick marsh joining us from the storm prediction center we'll get to him in just one minute we want to go around our round table here and welcome in some of our regular panel members we'll head first to uh, south carolina where shay we are now less than uh, three weeks away from that big solar eclipse anything big going on in south carolina well, I'll tell you what, we enjoyed some cool, drier air the last few days up until today. Things are kind of getting back to normal, uh, getting that east flowing off the ocean. that will turn a little bit more southerly. Uh, and then we have another cold front that wants to come to the southeast and die over the weekend, as they usually do. Uh, but we're getting back more to a seasonal pattern. That was nice. This is about three days worth of northeast winds. We had a nice little wedge work down, uh, let's see, Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, the winds came out fairly moderate. I mean, it was 20, 21 knots at times. So it really, it really helped kind of cool down uh, the air in the southeast. And I think some of the folks up in North Carolina will get to Scotty. I think he just popped on. Uh, we'll talk about how cool it was up there. But nice little refreshing uh, weather event uh, for late July, early August. Uh, we also are dealing with some moisture from the Gulf. Uh, we had Tropical Storm Emily that formed yesterday morning and came ashore of Florida uh, very quickly. Well, we can, we can talk about that in a little while, too. I want to make sure we get to the other regions. But... That uh, Gulf moisture will continue to feed up into the southeast region next few days with some warm weather and uh, maybe some moderate southerly winds mixed in there, too. If we get any sunshine for sea breezes, sea surface temperatures are in the low 80s now. They dropped about three or four degrees since all of the clouding and the rain in the northeast wedge the last three days as well with that cooler air. So uh, back to you, Ricky. All righty. And I think we do have Scotty joining us now from the coast tonight instead of the mountains. He... Uh, has evacuated to the coast right when a tropical storm forms in the uh, Gulf of Mexico. Any, uh, any relation there, Scotty? <laughs> no, not really. I hope you guys can hear me. Can you? We got you good. All right. Good. Yeah. No, uh, planned this vacation uh, a few months ago and you know, how about uh, Emily forming uh, today though? I don't know about shade on in Charleston. I, I was out the, at the ocean. Noticed the, the, the ocean was a little kicked up, but uh, besides that, a few clouds, it was, wasn't too bad. I, I'm shocked here. It, it's been kind of chilly at night uh, here along the uh, North Carolina coast. We've been into the low to mid-60s a few uh, mornings ago, so uh, it, it's not too bad, though. The heat and humidity returns tomorrow, and it uh, looks like it's going to stick around for a while. Luckily, it looks like you have power where you're at. Some folks in Ocracoke and uh, Hatter are still dealing with power outages. So. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's where I was supposed to be closer up to uh, the coast, and had to kind of reevaluate things, and uh, we settled here in Holden Beach, uh, about 30 miles north of uh, Myrtle Beach. So uh, it's been a good weekend and a, a good beach weekend. I mean, no rain or anything, so uh, we're very thankful for that. Scotty, right. do you know what the cause was for the blackout up there? Uh, from what I understand, they're, they're constructing a new bridge, and uh, somehow the construction crews cut all three of the uh, the cable uh, supplies to the, to the Outer Banks. So... Um, that is uh, what the cause was from what I've, I've understood. And it looks like it's going to be at least another week and a half to two weeks before uh, they get uh, power out there. And I have heard that uh, the, uh, there's some of the businesses out there planning on suing the company. So it's going to be a nasty uh, battle, I think, in court once all is said and done. 
Yeah, they had to evacuate uh, lots, uh, tens of thousands of tourists from that area. So, um, yeah, enjoy the rest of your stay up there. I'm sure you're you're doing fine where you are. I'm telling you, Shay, I hate that northeast wedge came in because you're right. The, the ocean temperatures are a little bit cooler than I expected. Yeah, they dropped, uh, I think, about mid to upper 70s where they were low 80s there. The temperature drops rather quickly along the coastal shelf of North Carolina much faster than it does for South Carolina just because of the land and the uh, cool water upwelling from those offshore winds along those capes. So, yeah, that, um, that happens quick, but it'll rebound on these southerly winds. You'll see it come back up again in the next few days. Definitely. Looking forward to it. I'm going to try to go find my computer cord because my battery may be dead. So I'll be back in just a minute. I don't know if you guys saw a tweet. I think I retweeted it. But some guy, if you've ever been to the Outer Banks, there's always banner tow planes that go by. And some guy bought a banner tow plane, and he uh, put, call before you dig on it. Love the Holden family. And flew it over the Bonner Bridge area. So um, it just goes to show, call before you dig. All right, let's go to Charlotte, where they probably call before they dig. James, what's up in your neck of the woods? And James, I, I hope, I hope they call before. Oh, you got me now? Yep. I hope so. So I'm going to keep going. Hopefully you got me. It's been very pleasant here in Charlotte. Actually woke up this weekend with the windows open as temperatures were cool. Dew points were low. So we've been appreciating a end of July, early start to August. That has been uh, a nice break from all the hot weather. And hopefully that will continue. I think that is the forecast for this weekend. And uh, otherwise, nothing to complain about, Ricky. Very good. And our last panel member tonight, we're going to jump over to the Memphis area. And Eric, welcome. Hey, good evening, Ricky. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm fighting a little bit of a late summer cold as well. So uh, do the best I can to get through here tonight. Um, and it might be just the changes in weather that's doing it over here. We had uh, quite hot and humid for a few weeks and then got a nice front through here on Friday. Uh, put down a pretty good amount of rain for everybody, generally an inch or so across the area, which was uh, well needed and uh, appreciated. And uh, the better part of that was that the, uh, the front moved all the way through down to the Gulf Coast. And, of course, that uh, eventually uh, had a uh, low form along that that become, became Emily. But uh, up here in Memphis, dropped the dew points down. We actually hit the upper 50s uh, for brief periods over the weekend. It was so nice, I decided to get out and do some of the work outside that I've been putting off this summer and uh, ended up with a wasp sting out of it. So, you know, you can't ever have everything you want uh, when, uh, when that's going on. But uh, we're rebounding now as we do uh, in the summertime. It doesn't usually stay that nice for, uh, for very long. And dew points jumped back up yesterday. We got a few spotty showers back around and looking forward to another front this Friday that probably won't have quite the effects of, uh, of the one last Friday. But maybe we'll get a day of decent weather out of it this weekend. So... Uh, looking not too bad uh, overall, pretty pretty much uh, below normal temperatures on average here right now. So we'll take it. Yeah, battling wasps is my summertime tradition. When they come to my balcony, they die. I'm not a fan of wasps at all. All right, let's uh, introduce our guest tonight. Dr. Patrick Marsh is the Warning Coordination Meteorologist at the Storm Prediction Center in Norman, Oklahoma. We are really excited to have him tonight, and thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule. And you were telling us uh, some staffing issues. I think many people still know the SPC and a uh, busy life. So we really thank you for joining us tonight, Patrick. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me and uh, I'm glad to do it. So let, let's kind of talk a little bit and kind of set the stage <clears throat> for what the SPC's number one role is. Where does the SPC kind of fall in the whole weather service plethora of offices? Okay. So if you think of the weather service as a, as an, as a hierarchical flow chart, uh, type sort of uh, thing. So you have National Weather Service headquarters, 
Um, and then you kind of have to, I'm simplifying this, but you'd have two forks from there where you have the National Centers for Environmental Prediction, NCEP, and the Storm Prediction Center is one of the, the national centers. And so they're in the, uh, the NCEP uh, side of the chart. On the other side, you would then have the National Weather Service, um, the region, so you'd have Eastern region, Southern region, Central region, Western um, Pacific and Alaska. Uh, so you'd have the you'd have the regions, and then the local forecast offices fall under those. So in the in the hierarchy, we're we're kind of we're all part of the same weather service, but we're on a different fork of the the hierarchical branch uh, within the national centers. So um, some of the some of our sister centers are, are um, the Space Weather Prediction Center in Boulder, the Aviation Weather Center, uh, the Weather Prediction Center, uh, the National Hurricane Center. So. Uh, if it basically has center in the title, you're under NSEP, the National Centers for Environmental Prediction. Uh, and if you don't, then you're probably a forecast office, a, uh, uh, a CWSU, or a, a river forecast center. And you're, you're, you're under the regions and under the, uh, uh, under the local forecast office side of the, the hierarchy. Something I think is really interesting about the SBC, you know, a lot of weather service offices have a backup. That's another weather service office. But if you guys go down, it's not another weather service office. It backs you up, right? No, our short-term backup. So if, if we have to go into backup for less than 24 hours, our short-term backup is actually Scott Air Force Base, part of the Operational Weather Squadron with the uh, uh, 555th Air Force Weather Wing, Air Weather Wing. I forget the, the exact uh, terminology, but we're actually backed up by the Department of Defense. Um, so that we are, we are unique in that situation. If we ever had to go into long-term backup, our, our long-term backup is actually, uh, off at Air Force Base in, in Nebraska. And let's say, is that something you guys test out on a regular basis? Is something Scott or off at test regularly? Um, so with, with Scott, we, we do, we're, uh, we'll have scheduled, I think it's like once a quarter, we'll have a, a scheduled exercise where for the day we will turn over all operational products to them um, and they will they will issue the products that they issue uh, one of the things that you, that happens if we do end up going into backup is not all of our current product suites uh, continue for example if you look at the convective outlooks uh, you have the categories the slight moderate highs um, and then you have the, the probabilities of the of the hazards the probabilities are not issued if we go to, to backup so we, we test out the, okay, so they issue the categories and then if, if we come back online and we can, can we still update the, the, the probabilities? And so when we do our testing, they'll do the categories and then we'll, we'll, we'll put the probabilities in uh, ourselves. Um, and then if, it, if we're in backup mode for testing and a watch needs to be issued, it will actually originate from, from off at Air Force Base, or excuse me, from Scott Air Force Base. Um, so we'll actually test the, the watch process. And I, I think if I've gone back and looked through the database, maybe maybe one or two watches a year um, on average over the last decade have, have come from, from uh, our backups. Um, so that's, that's our short term. If we go to long term, if we're going to be down for more than 24 hours, we actually send two forecasters to Offit, and we will resume normal operations as quickly as possible uh, but we will be doing it from from their location, not from our location. Um, so if the na if the National Weather Center was hit by a, a tornado and we would be offline for for a couple weeks or a month, we would initially send uh, a small uh, group of forecasters up there 
and then we would start the process of relocating uh, enough of the staff to maintain operations for the duration of our outage. So that's kind of how our backup our, our backup works. It's a each national center has their own kind of procedures. Um, in fact, we actually are part of the backup for the weather prediction center. Um, we would take over some of their their precipitation forecast responsibilities. Okay, and, and so you guys are tasked with forecasting for the lower 48, but not Alaska and Hawaii. Why was that decision made many years ago? I am probably not the best one to answer that, actually. That's a, that's a good question. I'm not sure the history there. Um, I know that uh, just in the grand scheme of things, it's it, it, one, of the, one possibility, and I'm just speculating here, is um, it would be a lot of work to in bodies at the Storm Prediction Center to maintain situational awareness for Alaska and Hawaii for not a whole lot of severe, uh, and so it, it might it, it probably made more sense uh, financially and logistically to to let those two uh, areas maintain the, their uh, the severe nature is there. I do know about once or twice a year. I think I see a, a, a severe thunderstorm watch uh, for Hawaii. I'm not aware of there ever being one in Alaska, um, but I'm not going to go out on a. I'm not going to go out and say that it's never happened, um, but I'm not aware of one happening. I have a friend who works at the Honolulu office, and I see his tweets every once in a while in the days leading up to or his Facebook post in the days leading up to, like, "Ooh, I think tomorrow's a watch day," and it's a big deal for them to actually oh, yeah. issue a watch. Well, what's, uh, I think it's fascinating that it's entirely possible that they get thunderstorms and uh, and maybe even severe thunderstorms down at the uh, the low levels, um, down at the beach level. But up on top of some of those mountains, it's a it's a blizzard. So I mean, you've got blizzard warnings and severe thunderstorm watches maybe at the same time. It's, I mean, to me, that's just like that's awesome. And we have seen that before. I think it was what Nebraska or parts of uh, Oklahoma or Kansas, where the weather seems to go crazy every single year in western portions of the states. I have seen severe thunderstorm warnings and blizzard warnings and blizzard watches, um, but uh, usually it's on the leading edge of a of a strong, a strong storm system. Uh, it's not the it's not the same same kind of thunderstorm uh, doing both. But I guess I guess if you think about it, if you got high enough into the thunderstorm, yeah. you'd get the blizzard part. Yeah. Um, when you guys are issuing these probabilistic forecasts and the categorical forecasts each day. How long does it take to kind of put those together and then get the products disseminated? It's a really good question. Um, every forecaster is different, and every forecast is different. Um, I know for me, when I when I'm working on an outlook, um, if I'm if I'm afforded the luxury of having time, I can do it. Uh, so, like when I was on mid shifts this past weekend, uh, midnight shifts at the Storm Prediction Center go from midnight to eight a.m. Uh, and so I was working on the midnight shift and I was going to do the, uh, the day one that goes out at 13 Z. Uh, so 7 AM central time. And, uh, I started that one, excuse me, 8 AM central time. I started that one about, uh, five in the morning. Uh, now if you come in on a day shift during the summertime, uh, you, the day shift starts at 8 AM and the convective outlook has to be out by 1130 AM. So by the time you get in, get ready, get spun up, you, you probably spent 30 minutes or an hour, so you don't have three hours. Uh, and when we lose, and when we go to um, standard time, you come in at 8 a.m. and the outlook is due at 10.30 a.m. So you lose another hour there. Um, 
So, so in, in that regards, what we we tend to a, a lot of us take the uh, the pencils down approach. Uh, you start working on the outlook. You start working on putting things together. You start writing the discussion, uh, and when it's time to hit send on the button, you put your pencils down and you hit send on the outlook. And um, so it, it's a well at the Storm Prediction Center, we we have this philosophy of what's known as the continuous weather watch. So. Uh, even though we have some discrete products with the outlooks, we are continuously evaluating and tweaking those. And sometimes you may see us make an amendment to a to a forecast uh, at an off hour. I know recently we had an event in uh, northern Kansas and Missouri where a nocturnal uh, storms developed and became this pretty intense bow that moved through the Kansas City metro area. And uh, we initially had a marginal risk and we did an amendment uh, at an off time and upgraded to, to slight risk, uh, coincident, I think, with a, with a severe thunderstorm watch going out. And uh, I, I, just talking to some of the power companies in the area, it sounds like that was probably one of their biggest, most widespread wind events um, in recent in recent times. Uh, and so that that's a time where the fact that we're continuously watching and we're continuously updating, we, we saw that the forecast was was uh, the what the atmosphere was changing from what we initially thought, and so we we did an unscheduled update to to account for it. So um, three to two to three hours, one to three hours, uh, dedicated focus. This is all I'm doing, but we're continuously monitoring and updating that process. That's um, and we're having discussions amongst uh, all of us. So we tend to have three to four, three to five people on shift at a time. And even though there may be one person's name or, or two people's name on the outlook, all of us are providing input uh, into that outlook process. So um, it's if you add up all the time, many many man hours and many uh, experience hours that go into it. That's kind of a long-winded answer, but um, it's there, there's a lot of work and it. it's, it's a unique challenge. And I, I encourage uh, any weather you know any weather we need out there. If you're a student. Um, send me an email, send, send the Storm Prediction Center an email, and, and uh, especially if you're a student, we might be able to, to arrange a, a job shadow, and, and you, can, you can experience it firsthand. And Dr. Marsh, I've got the actual product. I'm going to share a screen. Uh, this is the page that you, we, we would go to first. It's spc.noaa.gov, and I'm going to present this to everyone. And just sort of yeah. give us a brief walkthrough of, of what to look for here. If I'm if I'm a, a viewer that doesn't know a whole lot about weather, but I want to know what the convective pattern is going to be for an area I'm going to for a trip or just for my area alone. What am I looking for here? Okay, that's a good question. And uh, thanks for pulling it up. So if you look at, so one of the things that we're, we're trying to work really hard about is we want consistency of message across platforms and consistency of, of message across colors and, and things like that. So when, if you come to our storm, if you, if you come to the storm predictions in our homepage, one of the first things you'll notice is the colored banner at the top of the page. Uh, in this case, it says a slight risk of severe thunderstorms is forecast today. The color of the banner will correspond to the highest, the, the color of the highest outlook category uh, over the next three days. So if we have a, so today we have a slight risk out today. And so the, the banner is focusing on the slight risk for today. If we had a moderate or a high risk out for tomorrow, the colors would reflect the moderate or high risk, and the banner would say that that's what we're forecasting for tomorrow. 
Um, and then we also have a blurb saying today the risk is is as X, Y, or Z. Um, so the fact that the next three days, I think we have slight risks out, um, the, the, the yellow colors is, is consistent across all three of those days. Um, and so what, what you can do is if you click uh, on the right side, we, we're, we have the, the flashing red uh, watches and MDs banners um, and the all products tab. What, what we do is our products are um, listed there in, in order of most recent issuance. So what you would find is the most recently issued product uh, would be at the top. And so you can kind of see the chronological, the, the time uh, nature of, uh, of our products being issued. And so uh, as, as, you, as you showed, if you click on uh, one of these products, one of those little um, banners, it'll actually take you to that product so that you can, you can see in this case, uh, a severe thunderstorm watch was, was issued earlier this afternoon for parts of, of northeast Colorado and, and north, northwest Kansas and, and western Nebraska. Um, and so uh, it's really fun to watch that in the evening uh, when, we, when we do our, our extended convective outlooks. Um, you'll see a lot of, of new products and the new convective outlooks uh, show up um, sometimes in rapid succession on, on our homepage. Um, if you click on, uh, in addition to being able to click on the stuff on the right, uh, we have a little banners across the, the top of the, the image where it says overview, convective outlook, watches, MD, storm reports, mesoanalysis, fire hazards. You could, if you mouse over those, you'll see the image corresponding to those um, products. And if you click on the, those labels, it will take you to um, that, that portion of our website. So if you clicked on watches, it would take you to our watch page where you can then dive down and, and get to uh, the Sphere Thunderstorm watch. <clears throat> uh, additionally, on our, on our homepage at the bottom of the graphic that's up front and center, we have this, we have this matrix uh, for severe and fire where it shows the, uh, the day and the, uh, the, the risk, the maximum risk category of the various forecasts. So you could see we have a slight risk for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we have no areas in the extended. For fire, we did not have a critical today. We did not have, we don't, we're not forecasting a critical for Thursday. And we have no critical areas delineated Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, in addition to, to just that graphical and, and pictorial display, you can click on any of those um, hazard matrix entries and it will take you to that forecast. Uh, so you can see if you're interested in seeing what's happening, fire weather on, on Friday, you can click on Friday. If you want to see the severe weather forecast for Sunday, you can click on Sunday uh, and it'll take you to that, that product as well. Um, we, tr we try to have as many different uh, entry points to the forecast and, and many different ways of getting the information that you are interested in uh, so, and, and so that you can see it in the format you like. If you'd like to see a, a table, you have a table if you're, if you're big. Uh, if you're big on pictures, you've, you've got pictures. And if you like iconography and colors, uh, we try to do that as well. And then if you it, kind of if you think about it below the fold or, or below the scroll, um, we have a couple, we have a, a, some, some just some useful information that people might be interested in. And at the very bottom of the page, we have uh, our Facebook feed on the left and our Twitter feed on the right. Uh, so that uh, if you don't, if you're not interested in, in being on any of those social media platforms, but you want to see what we're saying, you can come to our webpage and you can get that information as well. So that's kind of a, 
10,000 foot overview of the, the, the SBC webpage. Uh, a little bit of uh, user experience testing going on, but I also imagine a lot of this has to do with, with social science that, that also relates back to your products. Is that all sorts of things that get taken into consideration on a daily basis? Yes. Um, so one of the things that we have on our webpage uh, that uh, we don't have links to um, are what we call the social media graphics that, that I created a few years ago. Um, and it's one of those, I can either give someone the URL or I can pull it up and uh, I can share pull the screen one up. that way. I can do it. Okay. All right. These are for like the CWAs and FEMA areas yes. and stuff? Yes. Yeah. Go right ahead. I'll capture and present it. All right. Give me a second here. Where was that slight risk for today? Was up uh, Colorado? Actually, uh, look, look, I'm going to pull something up. Sure. Um, Top secret links in the world of Dr. Patrick Marsh. Well, I've been playing around with stuff, and so let me share. We want to see the brand new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they view it here. So, share. So, you should be able to see it now. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I've got I've got this. It's for it's the URL is slightly different. I've got a sweetie one. Um, and, I, and we don't link to these because they're kind of development and can move. I also have a Sweetie 2, and Sweetie stands for Severe Weather Outlook Day 2, uh, and then there's also a, a, a Sweetie 3. Um, but what's nice about this is it's tied into the state, so you can see the outlook. So for the Day 3, we see that there's slight risk in New England. I can click on a state, and then it will take me into the, the state that way, so I can get an overview and then dive in. Um, but to go back to the, the question at hand, you you asked about the social science and and working uh, to um, how do we decide on what we're doing? Uh, everything on this graphic went through probably six months to a year worth of discussion amongst meteorologists and social scientists every week, um, just trial and area on trial and error on how to best present this. For example, when I first created it, I think zero to five, so to speak. So I ordered the legend from thunder on top to high on the bottom. And social scientists universally said, that's the wrong way to convey information. You want the most important on top. So we flipped the the ordering so that high was on top and and thunder was on the bottom. Um, Consistency in colors. Um, how do we highlight the text and how do we highlight the, the interstates and um, how it's one of the big complaints that we get is, hey, you know, you severe weather doesn't stop at the end of a state boundary or a geopolitical boundary. Why do you only show me the state of Pennsylvania? So then how much of the surrounding area do we need to include? Um, how do we convey what we're looking at in terms of the time so you know whether or not it's valid? Uh, all of this was discussed and I mean, just to create these graphics, it, it was easily a year's worth of work every um, where with weekly hour to two hour meetings uh, discussing um, not always this, but a lot of times a good portion of our, our discussions were focused on how to best create these graphics. Um, so that, that's just one example of of uh, of our uh, work with social scientists to, to try to convey uh, the best product forward. 
And then we have other things. One of the things we've been hearing about is iconography. We need to do more with iconography to demonstrate what we're trying to say pictorially. Um, and so we're, we've worked on a prototype uh, new uh, watch page where we have some icons and, 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 pictogra and um, pictures to help convey the, the, the threat, not only in numbers, but also in, in relative sense. Um, not sure when, when that will, uh, or if that will ever see the light of day, because we do a lot of, of development and sometimes things work out and sometimes things don't. So what are some of the other, uh, I believe you mentioned NWA a few years ago, some more frequent day one outlooks and day two outlooks. Are those in the pipeline? Uh, yes. Um, so in, as part of the more frequent day one outlooks, we probably won't be moving towards updating the day one more frequently in the sense of the, the, the full period. And when I mean full period, it basically means from the time the product is issued until 12Z the next day. Um, we will probably move towards more short-term forecasts where we will do probabilistic forecasts of the, of the hazards, but for over the next four hours, and we may do that hourly, two hourly, four hourly, it's still being, uh, being worked out. But that is in the, in the works. We did that a few years ago, I think two years ago, uh, we, we did a, a very cursory test. Last year, we did a, a test over a couple week, uh, like a six week period, and we shared some of that those forecasts internally to the weather service. Unfortunately, this year, for for a variety of reasons, we were unable to to continue the testing. But I know that uh, most people I talk to at, at SBC are wanting to get back to that, and so I wouldn't be surprised if some flavor of that um, it appears in the next year or so. Um, we've also been discussing one of the things that we hear about is um, updating the day three forecast. I suspect in the next year or so that will become a reality. Um, I'm just guessing at this point. I don't, uh, it, it, nothing is set in stone, but I know that there's a lot of discussion about that. And it's uh, basically we're at the point of how do we do it? Um, what, what, what needs to happen? How, how do our staffing levels and our product suite need to align to allow us to do that. Um, so um, these are things that we are discussing. And I, if I had to make a guess, I would I would guess that they would probably become reality in the in the next year or so. When you guys do an upgrade like this, is it actually a software change that has to take place, or, or is there something in AWIPS that has to change, or Gempack um, you guys use? Okay, so um, I'll answer some of that question, but in different orders. Um, I'll, first, I'll say that. Um, the Storm Prediction Center does not use AWIPS for our product generation and data displays. We use something that's called NAWIPS or National AWIPS. Uh, it was uh, largely based on the graphical user interfaces to the GEMPAC programs, uh, for those of you who are, are familiar with GEMPAC. Um, so that's what primarily what we use. We draw our forecasts and, and lines and discussion, and all, not our discussions, but all the, the graphical parts of our Forecasts are generated in there, and then we have a, a basically it's a, a web page text-based editor that where we we type in our, our the text portions of our of our uh, forecasts, and then we have some scripts that combine both the GEMPAC and the graphics and the text uh, into the the formats that then get disseminated out to to the public. Um, so if we are if we were going to do a day three update, for example, 
there would have to be some software changes because currently right now it, it's it's coded to only allow the day three forecast at one time. So we'd have to put in some logic to handle being able to issue it at a separate time. Uh, if we do short-term outlooks, we have to do something similar where we have to allow for the time period to not end at 12Z. Um, I think a lot of that may have already been been worked on by um, to, to accommodate some of the testing that we've been doing. Um, but yes, a lot of times it's both software updates, um, AWIP or NAWIPs. Um, well, actually, we can't update NAWIPs, actually. The Storm Prediction Center is trying to move to the AWIPs platform to be consistent with the rest of uh, the local forecast offices. Um, currently, a lot of the national centers still use uh, the NAWIPs. We haven't fully moved to, to AWIPs. Um, if we were to move to AWIPs, uh, or sorry, excuse me, because we are not on AWIPs, there's kind of a, a software freeze. A lot of the, the focus is uh, is on not upgrading new capabilities into NAWIPs. It's on let's get AWIPs functional for the National Center so that we can all be on a common operating picture. Uh, so our a common operating system. Uh, so there, there's a lot of merits there. Unfortunately, it means that some of the things that we might want to do, we have to wait until th this transition is complete. So Patrick, besides the um, product updates, uh, as, as far as new things that might be coming, um, besides just updating products more frequently, um, are there other things that are being kind of tested in the background that are, are being given some consideration as far as whether it's new products or just different ways of of displaying the products uh, that you're already doing, or, or what kind of things can we expect, say, over the next you know year or two, even if it's experimental, I guess. So there, there, we're always doing new things. Um, one of the things that I've has been on my plate now for for about 13 months. I just can't not cannot seem to find the time to finish it. Is um, right now, if you look at our convective outlooks and you look at our lines, they're not closed. Um, they're just kind of lines drawn from um mexico to canada or, or something like that they're not necessarily um closed polygons and so if you want to do any kind of gis work color fills things like that you really can't um and so one of the things that we want to do is we want to create uh gis products of our forecasts that are closed and smooth so that people can see the, the raw lines in, in a consistent manner uh, that's something that i need that that will probably come to fruition uh, hopefully this fall. Um, another big one is uh, what what happens when you are on the one side of a, a, a moderate line and you're and somebody else, your neighbor on the other side of town is on the other side. Um, so some person isn't one. So like on east side of Oklahoma City, I'm in a moderate, but the west side of Oklahoma City is in an enhanced. Um, is the threat really that much different across the Oklahoma City metro? Uh, in reality, it's not. Um, our, our forecasts are, are governed by, we take the probabilities and we map them into a categorical space. So if you think in terms of tornado, um, you could have a 15% tornado risk uh, highlighted for Western Oklahoma and the 30% line goes right down I-35. So Eastern Oklahoma cities to the right of the 30 line. So they're, they've got a higher than 30% chance. Does that mean that Western Oklahoma city has half the tornado risk as, as Eastern Oklahoma City? No, it, in, in reality, our, fork, our probabilities have a, have a continuous nature to them. Um, if I'm on one side of the line, it may be 31%, and if I'm on the other side of the line, it may be 29%. Uh, 
So we're working on trying to figure out how can we communicate that and how can we visually depict this continuous nature of the threat so that people don't say, oh, I'm outside the line. My risk is much lower than the other person. When for all practical purposes, your risk is, is the same. Uh, and this, this has really become a problem with GIS is people can take the, take our forecast and zoom right down to the, the street level and say, Hey, Bob's house across the street, he's got a high risk, but uh, I only have a moderate here. Uh, and so how do we convey the fact that no, the, the threat is actually a continuum and, and you, okay, Bob may have a, a very, very minute, uh, higher probability, but for all practical purposes, that street should have the same probability of, of an event. So how do we communicate uh, that? Um, that's that's uh, and how do we develop the continuous probabilities? Those are things that we are are working on. And uh, sometime in the the near in the next few years, I would expect to see something come of that, especially as the weather service embraces more of this uh, worn on forecast and and for, uh, facets the forecasting forecasting a continuum of environmental threats, um, uh, which are basically continuous probabilities and continuous forecasts. Uh, as we move towards that, you, SBC will have to, to get their, our forecast to, uh, in that manner. And in fact, we've been trying, we've been working on this uh, for long enough that we're much longer than, uh, than facets has been around. Um, it's just, it's a really, really hard problem. Well, and, and you're no you're no stranger to this either. But obviously, out here on the communication side of that, when we have lines that are delineate an in and an out and that kind of thing, you know, cutting through areas of coverage and so forth, we you know we, we're trying to explain to people: look, just because you're just left of that line doesn't mean that you're out of the risk zone. And you know, of course, that's it's a challenge. Definitely, it's a challenge. I mean, if you think about it. The Storm Prediction Center's history, our products and discussions were geared towards other meteorologists within the Weather Service and then eventually the private sector. It's only been in the last, let's say, one to two decades that it's really been consumed by the public at large. And so in that regards, we developed a, a, a strategy and a, a lexicon and used terminology that were all towards meteorologists. And now we have to figure out, okay, well now we got to step up, step back and figure out how to communicate all of this with a non-meteorological um, community. And it, it's certainly a challenge. And, um, but it's, it's one that we appreciate and we like, uh, uh, and, and we like, uh, honestly, I, I enjoy trying to solve these problems. I have a question that I'd love to ask all the individuals that work for NOAA and National Weather Service. Are you able to use the, Go, the new GOES 16 data to your advantage? And do you, would you be using that for verification, especially with the new lightning map coming out? Uh, so the answer to your question, the first part of the question is yes. So uh, we use it whenever we have it uh, available. Um, it's still, I believe, in testing phase or, or some portion of the testing phase. So there are days where we don't have it available because it's got to, it's doing testing of full scans or dissemination or or all this other stuff. But when it's not in active testing, uh, the field offices and the, and the National Weather Service can put in requests, and we we do use that data. Um, the mesos, we, there are procedures in place to request mesosectors, the, the one minute update sectors, um, 
and and for the most part, as long as the as long as the satellite is free for use, so to speak, um, those requests are are honored within the hierarchy uh, of the of the threats for the day. Um, so the, the, we are using it um, in and we're using it in an experimental manner, experimental manner, in the sense that we we're not guaranteed for it to be there. Um, but when it is there, we certainly take advantage of it. Um, when the lightning mapper comes on online, it will certainly be interesting to to see how we can use it. Uh, we have people who are, are working towards um, the best ways for us to use it. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of potential use cases there. Uh, I can think of a lot, especially with fire weather, um, knowing that there there was there was lightning uh, in regions where you might not have uh, ground-based sensors. Uh, that might help uh, what's known as the initial attack, get the get the firefighters on it before the fire gets out of control. I can see a lot of uses there. Um, and I'm sure there will be additional uses for verification. Uh, I just, with the, with the severe weather season uh, ongoing, I, I have not spent a whole lot of time uh, thinking about what I could do with, or, or or what I could do with it. I'm sure that there are other people um, much smarter than I that are, are licking their chops to get ready to go with it. Right. Speaking of licking chops, I one of the, the products that I love to use, this is more for the weather geeks out there, is the SPC analysis, uh, mesoanalysis. So I'm going to pull this up on the screen. We call this mesoanalysis for short. But uh, <laughs> you can see here, uh, there is a lot of parameters in, in this product. Uh, this is, there's a lot of information here that is very useful on a day-to-day basis. Uh, we won't get into all the science of it because it's extensive, but we do know that there's some new, there's some new products uh, or some new parameters in there. I think the dendritic growth layer depth uh, was was introduced maybe last year or the year, maybe the year before. Uh, some of these are newer. Can you uh, let us know if there's anything else coming down the pipeline that can be useful? Um, sure. Uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, I'm actually one of the one of the primary maintainers of the code that generates the these fields. Um, I'm not the one who generates the graphics for the web page, but um, our mesoanalysis generation code, um, I, I'm the one that maintains it. If it goes down, you rest assured, I'm getting a phone call from an SBC forecaster at three in the morning if, if need be. Um, and so Rich Thompson uh, is one of the big drivers of coming up with new fields to look at. And so what, well, the, what the process is, he'll, he'll develop the code and we'll evaluate it in in, in sharp. Uh, and once we think that we've got the, the logic working out right, and, and, the, and the, there appears to be some utility, we'll then move it over into mesoanalysis generation code. Uh, and then we'll uh, Matt Mosier, John Hart, and some of the others will will work to get it on onto the web page. Um, at present, um, there's not a whole lot that we're expecting to come down the pipeline because we just put in. Earlier, the, before the severe weather season, we put in uh, some of these new fields, such as the max um, lapse rate. Um, some of the others, the dendritic, snow, the, the dendritic, dendritic growth zone and relative humidity and the dendritic growth and uh, a lot of those fields. Um, we had them on the web page last winter, but it turns out that there were, there were still some, there were some bugs in that and that Rich and I spent a lot of, a good portion of the, of the winter and, and early spring trying to debug it and figure out what was wrong uh, and we, we've got those bugs worked out um, so we did a lot of, of that and then once we got into this peak severe weather season a lot of the development um, 
has to has to be halted as it's all hands on deck to get through the peak severe weather season. As we go into the later August and September, that's when Rich and I will probably start working on what do we want to add, what do we need to, what, what can we do? Um, so if uh, you ask me that question in maybe two more months, I might have an answer for you other than uh, we, we're still, uh, we don't have anything at the present coming down, um, but I know that once we, we get to a point where we can think clearly, there will be things to come. Well, we appreciate everything you guys put into that product. That's extremely useful. Yeah, uh, well, I know. As uh, along those lines, I know going down, down uh, into the future, we would like to eventually start disseminating that out, the the raw grids out publicly. Um, that's probably still maybe a couple years down the road because this is all done in Gympack, and we have to work with the WMO to get WMO grib IDs and grib headers and and convert our code to create grib files. Um, but um, I would not be surprised if in the next few years you might be able to download it off Nomads or. Or, or some other dissemination dissemination platform. Kind of staying on the same, since we're talking about the website again here, one of the pages that uh, is is kind of buried in there, but if you if you know about it, you find you use it quite a bit, is one I think that you've inherited from your predecessor, uh, and that's the WCM page. Um, talk a little bit about the the information that's on there and and kind of what the what the purpose of that page is, and I'll be happy to share it here while you're talking. Okay, I actually just pulled it up myself. Um, so the WCM page has a, a long history. I think it actually goes back to uh, the, the WCM before Greg Carbon, which is um, Dan McCarthy, I think he created it. And it was basically a way for SPC to provide information and have a, a kind of a clearinghouse where we could put things that we wanted to share somewhat um, with, with media, other weather service people. Um, Greg kind of, took it in a whole much bigger direction when, when he was here and started creating more maps and, and stuff. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that my understanding of the, the rules are is uh, if, if a weather service forecast office or national center or if a weather service, weather service organization posts something on Twitter, it must also be available on your website. So if we were to create a, a graphic of all the tornado locations for 2016, and we wanted to post that on Facebook or, or Twitter or, or any other social media platform, we must also have it on our website so that someone who's not on social media doesn't have to have an account on a private company's platform to view it. And so with Greg, a lot of the stuff that we would, we would put on social media found its home on the on the WCM page and it became this kind of outreach um, blog or, or not even blog is this outreach page where we would post the new things that we were working on and and a lot of it was done by Greg and he maintained it but other forecasters would sometimes send Greg things and say hey can you can you put this on the on the web page for us um, I have not done a whole lot with it because um, I've been still trying to spin up in the job and and also with our staffing shortages i've been working a lot of forecast shifts um, but at the very bottom of the warning coordination page is probably one of the most frequently asked for things that we have and that is our severe weather database files where we have um, csv files of all severe weather reports uh, tornadoes go back to 1950 uh, and hail and wind go back to 1955. And so you can download these and see all the information. I also 
um, create GIS uh, shapefile versions of it. And so there's a link to that on the uh, at the very bottom of the page where you can just grab that file, drop it into into any GIS or shape file viewing system, and, and then uh, interrogate and visualize all the all the tornado paths uh, through the United States. Um, and so that's something that's housed on uh, on the WCM page. Now, going forward, one of the things that I would like to do, and I'm gonna, I'm hope, I'm hopeful that I will have enough time to do it this fall, is I want to kind of retire the WCM page um, because a lot of times you could put something on here and then it will disappear. It's not somewhat, it's not necessarily semi-permanent. I'd like to retire the w, WCM page and try to move towards some sort of media or outreach type blog where things are kind of like permalinked and so we could post something and refer back to something and it, and and um, uh, media and, and the public knows that it's going to be there. Um, it would still be kind of be the same concept, but it would just be uh, a reinvention of the of the WCM page, a more, a more modern, friendlier to use version of the WCM page. So. It's a long way of saying it's an outreach page where uh, as we come up with new things that we think that people might be interested in, this is kind of our our, our place to, to, to put it and share it um, in addition to social media. Patrick, I, I have two final questions here as we get close to uh, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 Central. Um, when you guys issue a watch, what is the definition of a watch that verified? It's a really, really good question. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to see. I know we have it on our web page. Um, so if you go to our web page, and I'll pull it up, and then I will um, share my screen. Do, do. Okay. <clears throat> so, for example, let's take a look at the, the, currently, the current watch. Um, as it loads uh one of the, so we have the watch that goes out and the watch if you uh, i think if i have to go back at the very if i go to the watch main page um oh we're i'm trying to find we have somewhere we have it actually written out maybe it's the about the spc That was a really good question. You got him stumped. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I don't know the. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Or I, I'm drawing a blank on the, the specifics. I think it's like two reports, and um, we have lead time goals that we shoot for. And I know that the text is on the the. Oh, I think it's the SPC FAC. Um, if you look on. Um, watch questions. What is the sphere? You can read through this and, and it'll talk about what we're looking for when we issue a watch. And so subjectively, those are the criteria we're trying to um, trying to meet. But we're moving towards and we try to think probabilistically. And so we issue these probabilistic watches. Uh, or we, our watches have probabilities tied to them. I'm sorry, that's a, a better way of saying that. Um, and so if you click on the, if you mouse over the probability tab, you can see so probability of two or more tornadoes, well, we have 10%, probability of one or more strong tornadoes. For this watch, we have um, less than 2%. Um, and so the probability of six or more combined reports, 70%. So 
ideally, as we move forward, this is how we want to verify our watches. Um, but it's not as simple as just saying, oh, you had a 70% chance of six or more combined hail or wind events. Um, you and and it very, you had ten reports, so it verified. Well, if if you think about it, if I issue a really big watch, it's easier to get six or more reports or ten wind reports or or something like that. So you you ultimately you want to try to normalize the watch to a certain area. So like maybe ten reports in a ten thousand square mile area or something like that. So we're 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 be very uh, like within the last year or so we've begun discussions on how do we begin to quantify the probabilistic nature of the hazards in a way that's statistically reliable and meaningful and so this notion of what is it how do we prevent someone from from creating just issuing a watch for the entire country and saying okay i did my job that's going to verify um how how do we how do we reward people who do smaller watches um so that if you issue a really small watch you don't want to verify sorry if you issue a really small watch it's going to be harder to get 10 reports um so how 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 do we score that um so that's not so that's a real big stalling rambling answer why i tried to remember the actual number associated with the uh um the verification of the watch um man i i know what i'm going to be doing as soon as we're as soon as we're off the podcast because i'm going to be i'm going to be reading up on that that's kind of that's kind of embarrassing well send us a tweet if you find it and we'll be uh glad to retweet it and then get it out we'll do and oh wow stop sharing (laughs) (laughs) all right last question since we are in the carolinas um is there a difference in having to forecast convective weather in the southeast versus in the plains versus other regions across the United States? So I'm going to give you a yes or no, yes and no answer, and it's going to sound kind of like a cop out, but here's why: um, the atmosphere is the atmosphere. Physics are physics. Storms, storm structure, and storm excuse me, storm. The physics of thunderstorms are the same in the southeast, in the plains, in the northeast, everywhere. What is different are storm modes and the societal exposure to the various hazards. So when you start, I mean, you can have supercells galore in the western western Nebraska panhandle and never hit a town. If I have one or two supercells going across Alabama, it doesn't take very long before I've hit three or four towns um so the meteorology is the same but the societal impacts are considerably different and so when you start thinking about okay so i've got the potential for uh, i'm gonna have a squall line move through uh the southeast well does that am i gonna have the report if i'm gonna have a map that's full of blue dots uh, as we call it, or a bunch of wind reports tomorrow. Whereas if I took the same thing and moved it across Oklahoma, I may have one or two. So it's the same meteorological phenomenon, but if I verify based on the number of reports exclusively, it's a marginal or maybe a slight risk in the plains, but it's a high risk in, in the Southeast. Uh, just, and it's just because of the number of people there to report things. 
So forecasting just the meteorology is the same, but it's we don't live in a vacuum. And it's this notion of how do we create a forecast that accurately conveys the threat, but also how do we create a forecast that is going to appear to be um, to be, to appear to be correct because it's one of those, oh, you have a slight risk in Alabama and you had like 400 reports. Well, there's a lot more trees to fall. Maybe they weren't all 60 mile per hour winds. Um, there's, there's a lot of, 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 of caveats there. And so the, 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 the real challenge is becomes a communication ones. And one of the things that we ask our forecasters to do is forecast the meteorology. Don't worry about the, don't worry necessarily about if, if you think that it's a, it's a, there's the meteorology supports a certain a forecast and you don't think you're going to get 60 mile per hour winds widespread, then maybe you don't go enhanced or moderate or something. You, you keep it as a slight. Um, but then it becomes a challenge for me is how do we then convey that? Well, SPC is not asleep at the wheel meteorologically speaking, a lot of those trees down could have fallen down at 45 mile per hour winds because the soil saturated and it doesn't meet the explicit definition of a severe thunderstorm. Um, so there are a lot of nuances there, uh, but, but strictly from a forecasting point of view, last time I checked the atmosphere, the, the physics of the atmosphere apply in the Southeast, the same in, in uh, the plains, but how, but you have different ingredient sets. In the plains, sometimes it's the the, fun, the forecast question could be, am I going to get the moisture back in time? Uh, whereas in the southeast, it can be the moisture's here. The, the forecast challenge is, am I going to get discrete versus a squall line? Um, so in that regards, the meteorology is the same, but the forecast challenge you have to answer is different depending on your on your location. Uh, and then buttressing all of that is the communication aspect. All right. Works for me. Uh, I believe Scotty had a, a viewer question and then we'll wrap up everything here as we get uh, close to nine okay. at nine around it. Yeah. Hey, Patrick. Uh, Scotty, we can't hear you very well. I can handle the viewer question if you'd like me to. Um, and so we had a question come in from Craig asking kind of what the process is for a PDS watch versus a regular watch. It's a really good question. Um, at the end of the day, the, the decision to go a particularly dangerous situation is not made in a vacuum, but it is the forecaster's discretion. We have guidelines for things that we want to see in terms of the environment and the expectations, but at the end of the day, it's the forecaster's decision to go. Now, if we are going PDS, particularly dangerous situation, the, it implies that we are expecting high confidence of of large tornadoes, possibly violent tornadoes. And so correspondingly, if we're gonna go, if we're gonna designate a watch as a particularly dangerous situation watch, the probabilities are locked in to be the high, um, in the high range. Um, uh, I, I don't know the exact value, option values, but you cannot say there's a 2%, there's a 10% uh, a chance of SIG tours and go PDS. The software won't let you do that. Um, so in, in that regards, that's how the probabilities, uh, 
and the, and the decision to go PDS uh, work together. Additionally, I say that it's the it's the forecaster, it's the lead forecaster's decision, but in reality, um, every watch we, we're we're coordinating with the local field offices, and it's a group decision. Um, the the field offices provide their input. Uh, so at the end of the day, the lead forecaster has to make the decision, but he's not making it alone. SBC is giving his input or their input to the lead forecaster. The field gives their input, and and I'm not aware of a situation. Um, where it was not uh, a consensus decision to go uh, to go with the PDS uh, nomenclature. Patrick, uh, my question is, and I hope you guys can hear me a little bit better. Um, you know, we, we've been a few years now into the new categories, the marginal slight, uh, moderate, enhanced, high. How has that went over with you guys? Um, you know, you've had a couple of years now to stew upon it. Is there any changes in the in the future? Are you guys content with it? Okay. What's the process there? That's a really good question, and I'm glad you asked that. So I'll give you a little bit. I'll quickly go through some backstory into how this all came to be. Um, when the Storm Prediction Center first started doing categories, we had three, slight, moderate, and high. And our forecasts were geared towards other meteorologists and, and the uh, as long as we were consistent in how we defined things and our, we were just talking to other meteorologists, it was easy to say a slight risk means this, a moderate risk means that, a high risk means this. We, were all, we could all be on the same page because we knew what it meant because we, could, we understood the meteorology that was going into it. As the public became more, uh, consumed our forecast more, and they're like, well, slight risk doesn't mean that. I'm confused. They don't necessarily understand the backstory there. And so we wanted to, we wanted to provide additional information of those forecasts. Uh, I, I, okay, let me actually clarify and say, so, that, so the historical how the slight moderate and high came to be. Um, emergency managers eventually became users of those. And so the emergency managers developed, uh, a lot of emergency managers developed procedures where if we're in a moderate risk, this is what we need to do. Um, and so moderate risk or higher became triggers for emergency management actions. So when we decided that we wanted to put add the additional categories to convey the additional information, some of the additional information that's in the probabilities that's always been there, but now move that so it's visible in the categories, we were, we were stuck with the conundrum of how do we come up with new category names without touching the slight, moderate, and the high, because the emergency management community has come to rely on the thresholds of slight, moderate, and high. So we did some surveys, and we, and we came up with what the, the best words that we thought we could come up with that fit in the progression of slight, moderate, and high, knowing that slight, moderate, and high were not the best possible choices. And again, we did this because we wanted to prevent the confusion from our partners who were already aware of, of, our, of what uh, our forecast meant. So, but we knew that we didn't like the name slight, moderate, and high, and we knew that we eventually wanted to change it. So we also added numbers to our categories. Marginal is a one, slight is a two, enhanced is a three, uh, moderate is a four, and high is a five. So now that we've added numbers also to the categories, we're working with emergency managers and others to, to not just key on the words, but also pay attention to the colors and the numbers. 
And as people begin to develop uh, familiarity and become comfortable with the numbers, then we can go back and change the names without changing the meaning. Because even if we change moderate to um, snuffleupagus, you would still know that the number four meant the old moderate, and so you can make those um, connections. So we are not opposed to changing the names, as I, as I mentioned. Um, I would not be surprised if in the next few years that there are some name changes. Um, we're, we're open to working with the social scientists. The one thing that we want to do is we want to avoid changing the names frequently. So we want to work with social scientists to make sure that if we change the names, we get them about as right as we possibly could. Um, and so that will take some time and that will take some work, but we are open to it and, and we're looking forward to it. I can't wait till we start issuing Snuffleupagus at risk. That's going to be great. Well, I mean, if you think about it, there was the old um, Department of Homeland Security color-coded system. I think it was like blue, green. And I, I always remember that somebody had mapped those into the Sesame Street colors. And so red was Elmo, yellow was Big Bird. And so we'd always say, oh, it's a Big Bird alert. Well, now you're going to have people on Twitter saying the SPC is trying to draw a Big Bird on their outlooks and everything like that. So. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right, Patrick, we really appreciate you joining us tonight and taking some time out of your schedule. Uh, let people know where they can follow you on Twitter or get in touch with you guys, the SPC, if they uh, have a question maybe that wasn't answered tonight or just want to see some of your products. Sure. Um, you can contact me directly at SPC at my, my first dot last name, so patrick.marsh at noaa.gov. You can follow me on Twitter at pmarshwx. You can follow the Storm Prediction Center on Twitter at uh, at NWS SPC. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash, I think it's NWS SPC. Uh, we just changed it recently. And I think that's what we changed to. Um, yeah. So um, send me an email, send me a tweet. Uh, I, we're incredibly busy. Uh, I promise you that I will read your email and I will respond to it as soon as I can. And if you haven't heard from me in a couple of weeks, feel free to ping me again. But I get a lot of email. Uh, and so it may it may take a day or two before I can get back to you. But I promise you, I am reading it. I'm not ignoring you. And that is the right Facebook link. I just went and checked it. So that, that's the right one. Thank you. All righty. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, I think we've got one little area of business to take care of here. James and Eric have a little demonstration they want to do on, on a new app that we're working with now. Right, guys? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think James is going to do some screen sharing and I'll talk about it a little bit. So one of the uh, one of the things that I also do uh, on the side, part of memphisweather.net and have expanded this to a national audience is a mobile application that will provide your severe weather watches and warnings, um, similar to, uh, to several other apps that are out there that will alert you to severe weather as it occurs. Um, and I call that Stormwatch Plus. Uh, and uh, it is on the market for uh, iOS right now. Um, we are looking to uh, actually we're working on some back end redevelopment to be able to expand that to uh, first hit Android and then potentially some web uses uh, down the road as well. Um, but uh, the uh, Carolina Weather Group here has uh, is uh, decided to sign on as an affiliate uh basically an affiliate marketer for the app. And so I'm uh, glad to take a few minutes tonight and kind of show uh, our users through or our, our viewers through how to use that. Um, and, uh, and hopefully some of them will be able to, uh, 
We'll be able to download that and make some use of it. It is a national app, so wherever you're following us from or wherever you're watching from, um, you'll be able to get the information. And we have things from the SPC getting uh, getting pushed straight for, to your phone from the local weather service offices and so forth. So I'll uh, ask James to go ahead and, uh, uh, Shay, if you would pin up the screen share for me, please. And uh, James is going to launch the app there from, uh, from iOS. Um, <clears throat> and basically what this uh, gives you is a... a a lot of uh, good basic weather information, but one of the nice things about uh, about this app and the way that I designed this is that um, I like to leverage the uh, good men and women out at all of the local weather service offices across the country to provide the forecast. And a lot of the national apps do not do that. They use uh, their own proprietary models and so forth. Uh, and this app actually uses the uh, pinpoint forecasts that come from the local weather service offices. So you're getting your local spin on the weather um, and the forecast from right there where you live. Uh, what James is showing here is the front screen when you uh, when you open it up. Uh, it'll show your current location and uh, some current conditions and stuff. He's uh, showing the forecast here. And any one of those, you can tap on one of those uh, forecast periods and get the details. Um, basically, your point forecast for the location that you've got um, that you've got programmed in there or your current location when it first opens up. Um, also on that uh, current page there, um, he doesn't have to show it right now, but there's a change button at the top. And basically, you can go to anywhere else in the country. Um, and put in a new location, and it will take you to that location, give you the radar, you get your current conditions and your forecast, and all of this portion of the app is free, so it is a free download to get the, the your, your basic weather information, the radar, um, the current conditions, and the forecast. Um, there's also down uh, near the bottom of the uh, screen there, we've got a play button, so you, you can uh, certainly loop that uh, radar there, and then below that um, is a layers button as well. It's going to go through the, uh, the playback there as it does it. Several other layers you can add. Um, there's a satellite view on there. Um, you can turn on watches and warnings for your area as a layer, um, storm tracks, and also the uh, outlooks that we've been talking about from the Storm Prediction Center, days one, two, and three, um, you can have, an, have as, as an overlay on the app. So you could put the clouds on there as well as the Storm Prediction Center outlook and your radar, merge them all uh, as separate layers there and kind of see exactly uh, exactly what it looks like pan and zoom around the whole United States. Um, so that's that all, all of that information is free to you um, just with the download. Uh, a couple other things that you get for free. Um, the second button down at the bottom is the safety tips uh, button. So we wanted to make sure that we get um, how you should um, respond to severe weather in your area um, without any charge, of course. And so there's video form as well as uh, text form that describes the different types of products and how you should respond in those different uh, uh, severe weather uh, instances. Um, also at the uh, very far right, there's an info tab and that'll get you to uh, customer support, things like uh, FAQs. Um, you can get straight to the Facebook and Twitter feeds for Stormwatch Plus. Uh, all of that is available on the info tab. Um, the bread and butter of this app though is the push alerts that come with it. And uh, there's a Stormwatch Plus button at the bottom. If you haven't activated this, then you will get a screen that describes uh, the process of, of what the product is. Uh, and basically, it's like a, a, a NOAA weather radio on your phone, on your pocket, with a lot of uh, customizations that can be done to that. Um, and so once, you have, uh, once you've activated that, and that is the portion of the app that uh, there is a charge for, uh, currently is $8.99. 
which is a one-time fee. It's not monthly. It's not yearly. It's just a one-time fee. Um, and that's about, uh, you know, roughly a third to the fourth of a cost of a no weather radio. And you can program multiple locations. You can have the app follow you. So, for example, he's got uh, locations plugged in for Charlotte and uh, Williamport there. Those locations are turned on, so he would be getting alerts in the case that uh, any uh, any are issued for those areas. The Stormwatch Plus in route that's right in the middle there is kind of a follow me type of uh, uh, capability. And so, if you're traveling across the country and you're driving into uh, counties that you or places you don't even know the county name or what the what to watch out for. Um, if you turn that on, it's basically going to follow you. And as you drive into a severe thunderstorm warning, you will get the alert as soon as you drive into it or as you move back out of it. Um, and so you don't really even have to know exactly where you are. You just see a dark cloud ahead of you that you're driving towards. If this is on, it's going to tell you whether or not uh, a warning is out on that cell. Um, so you can add up to three static locations. You can have it follow you with that uh, with that follow me portion. Uh, the in the route and then farther down there, um, you've got a customization that's available for the different types of alerts. So I'm going to have you scroll down there and hit customize my alerts. And as you see, there are many different types of weather that you can get alerted for. So some people only want to know about tornado warnings and don't want to be bothered with any of the other uh, types of alerts. You can do that with this. If you want the whole gamut, you can do that. So there's flood types, there's winter weather types. Um, as you scroll through, you'll see severe weather, uh, thunderstorms and tornado warnings also have tropical on here. So you folks out there in the Carolinas, uh, you can get your hurricane watches and warnings, uh, tropical storm. Uh, we won't have typhoons here in the U.S., but it does work where typhoon uh, watches are issued as well. And then some of the inland things. And you notice we've also added the newest product from the uh, National Hurricane Center, the storm surge watch and warnings. Those are already built into the app as well. Um, so you just choose the types of alerts you're interested in, and you will only get alerts for those. Now, a couple of comments on the alerts. Um, almost all of those will use whatever your default notification sound is for your app. There are two exceptions. That is the severe thunderstorm warning and the tornado warning. Uh, the default sounds for those are going to be the annoying sound that comes on the radio when you're driving along and a tornado warning is issued that sounds uh, like a duck is being uh, uh choked or something like that. Uh, it's the EAS audio uh, and it is a wake me up uh, type of alert. So if you have this set at night, uh, it will wake you up in the middle of the night, but only for tornado warnings or severe thunderstorm warnings if you have those on. Um, so you can, you can rest assured that you would get those uh, also in the middle of the night. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of a rundown of what's in the app. Um, and uh, again, it's uh, $8.99 one-time fee to get the, uh, to get the upgrade there for the alerting capability, everything else that you saw in the app is free. And the way that we have this set up from that screen right there, once you have gone in and uh, made that purchase, if you heard about it here on the Carolina Weather Group, you would go down there to enter referral code and type in Carolina and submit that. Um, it doesn't change the price for you, but it uh, gives some credit back to the Carolina Weather Group um, for them being a part of the uh, the affiliate network. So we're, we're glad to be able to use um, various uh, entities across the country that have uh, a good user base that are trusted sources in their local area um, to make sure that they get the word out about uh, about Stormwatch Plus. So we appreciate all of you that go and check that out. Feel free to go download it for free um, and then uh, take a look at what Stormwatch Plus does and uh, and hopefully you'll be interested in uh, in signing up for that as well. We really, uh, really do appreciate that. And um, that's kind of what the uh, what that app provides. So um, if you want more information on it, you can also go onto the web. Stormwatchplus.com is the website. 
Um, the page for the Carolina Weather Group is just stormwatchplus.com slash Carolina. Uh, and you can get all the information uh, straight from the Carolina Weather Group right there on the web. So appreciate all of you that uh, are checking that out. And thanks a lot to the group here for uh, for coming on board and, and uh, getting this word out to folks. Uh, it's definitely something that we need more people to uh, have. We Everybody's got their phone in their pocket these days and um, and don't necessarily have access to the severe weather information if they're in front of their television or at home where their weather radio is. So definitely is a way to go for getting uh, severe weather information. And of course, when the watches and warnings that are issued are all by Latin law. So uh, if you are inside the severe thunderstorm warning within a block within it, you're going to get the warning. If you're a block outside it, you won't get the warning. So it's uh, uses strictly those polygons now that the National Weather Service issues um, for those alerts. And I've, I have literally seen them come that close. Somebody says, I didn't get an alert. And I asked for their location. I look up the warning and I said, you were two blocks outside of it. You're right. You didn't get the alert. <laughs> That's the way it was designed. So I appreciate and Eric, that. And, let me uh, you, and yep. that referral code, Carolina, any any uh, cap sensitivity to that? It'll it'll work either way. So all lowercase is fine. If you put capital C, it's going to work there as well. And all again, right. the website with all the details is stormwatchplus.com slash Carolina, and you can download it. Uh, there's a link to the iTunes right from there to be able to download it. Alrighty, cool. Thank you, Eric and uh, James, for sharing everything. We appreciate that. Next week, we have the award-winning group of Nashville Weather. The Twitter account, they won an award at the last year's NWA uh, Awards Banquet. If you guys have not followed them on Twitter and you live in the Nashville area, they are an excellent follow, a great source of information for Nashville, and we're excited to have joining us next week to talk a little bit about what they do and uh, weather in the Nashville area. We've got a couple more shows coming up after that weather rate disaster zone reporting. And then we're going to dabble in precipitation probability once again, and uh, probably hate ourselves for doing that one again, as we get into the later portion of uh, August into September. So if you want to watch this at a later time, we are of course on iTunes and Google play and YouTube. If you have some friends you think may be interested in the show, send them a uh, link. Let them uh, take a listen. This one was a great one. We've got plenty of stuff from previous years, and uh, we'd love to have you check us out and have your friends check us out as well. So with that, we'll wrap up tonight's show, and we hope to see you next week.